I'm Heather Roberts here with Assistant Chief Deputy State Fire Marshal Chad Hawkins. Thank you so much for taking the time, even though you have a really long title. <laughs> Thank you, Heather. Glad to be here. You are in Central Oregon this week, really working on this concept of defensible space. And, and the timing of your visit is not a coincidence, is it? No, it's uh, it's not. You know, uh, here on the West Coast, we're familiar with fire, specifically in Oregon. Obviously, we all live with wildfire on an annual basis when it comes to uh, summertime season. Uh, as everyone's getting outdoors, obviously, there's always that threat from wildfire out there. And we're really looking to uh, promote the message of defensible space uh, while we're in the thick of it, so to say, uh, with you know being fire season right now with many fires, obviously, on the landscape across the state in the Western United States. Defensible space is a concept that Central Oregonians understand. We hear about it a lot in the high desert. What are the common mistakes that we make, though? Because obviously we're still not doing a good enough job. Yeah, absolutely. Defensible space in itself is, as you put it, it's a it's a pretty simple concept. Everyone, I believe, uh, in the area where wildfire is a constant threat is is familiar with defensible space, you know, raking leaves, uh, cleaning gutters and some of those. We always think of them as small minutia tasks, but those are the ones. Uh, that if we let slip just for that one, two minutes uh, and inevitably uh, deal with that oncoming fire front from that, you know, escape fire or whatever it may be, uh, that could be the time where your house becomes in jeopardy due to some of those, again, those small defensible space practices that we can all do. It's got to be a little sweat equity put into it, but uh, there's no cost to rake leave, keep those gutters cleaned, making sure, you know, dead and dying material, the debris on the ground, the finer fuels like the sticks, the leaves and things like that are picked up, disposed of, really looking at um, removing all of those ignition sources around the structure because a common misconception, Heather, is that uh, when a fire does threaten or approach structures, that it's these, you know, long 100, 200 foot uh, flame lengths that are uh, directly impinging on the side of a structure, for example. And although that does exist, don't get me wrong, a majority, if not three quarters of structures lost uh, during a wildfire is due to what we call ember cast and ember showers. So it's those embers that are carried in the winds, whether created by the fire or the you know prevailing weather patterns or the weather conditions in the area at the time of the fire, carrying those embers half a mile, three quarters of a mile, a mile and a half in some studies, and finding a place next to your house, next to your business, in a gutter that just has 10, 20, 30 pine needles in it, it can get established, create heat, and then spread very uh, autonomously on its own. Uh, and, and folks may not even know that. And those are just, again, little practices that we can do to, again, keep our home resilient, prepared, uh, for wildfire. But those are really what we're looking at. The dead dying material, uh, removing things off the ground, limbing up trees to about the six foot height, you know, removing those branches so that trees can't have that fire transferred from the ground, climb up the tree and then go up into the crowns and canopy. And then just again, double the problem we already have, which is creating ember casts and ember showers. I talked recently with the Deschutes County County Forester, who was yeah. referring specifically to bark mulch or bark dust. And I yeah. found that so ironic that a material that a lot of us have in our yards that yeah. we use as, as a weed barrier and as a landscaping tool ends up being actually pretty dangerous. 
Absolutely. You know, a lot of the fires back when I was in the operations uh, world of firefighting, a lot of the fires we would go to in the summertime are that lit cigarette in the planter box. And it's full of what you just said, mulch, right? Because uh, all it takes is a little ember, uh, a cigarette butt, or, you know, a, another ignition source of some sort, and it can generate heat, hold heat. And if it's close to a structure, which where's all of our bark mulch, it's in our planter beds, it's right up against our house, which is, you know, next to a, a combustible surface, the siding of our house. So if that ember cast comes through from that flaming front, uh, we're going to have uh, problems theoretically with uh, embers being uh, susceptible to getting into those ignition sources. Bark mulch is a great example of a, a watch out, a hazard for sure. So does that mean we just have to fill our yard with rocks? <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, and rocks that's, are that's nice. Another... I like rocks. Rock... I mean... There are lots of beautiful rocks out there, river rocks, you know, there's all sorts of, of beautiful rocks out there. But when we talk fire, res fire resistive landscapes, what we're really talking about is, again, keeping it clean. So we're talking early on about the removal of the dead and dying material, the leader, uh, the ground litter, um, the finer fuels. But then also, uh, how can we incorporate uh, fire resistive fuels that are native to the area? You know, trees have seen fires for years, millennia, right? They have withstood the test of time. Uh, so if we're able to limb them up, there's no concept of uh, moonscaping. And that's a common, you know, thing, uh, a thread out there is that uh, defensible space is moonscaping 100 feet around your house. And that's not the concept at all. It's, uh, you know, limbing things up to about a six foot height, removing that ground material, because what we're really trying to do is also... Uh, in conjunction with like reducing ember casts and ember showers is reduce the intensity of the fire as it approaches your house within that hundred foot buffer. And then those local fire folks, those resources that are going to, you know, go direct with these firefighting efforts have now a buffer, which they can encompass your house, spray water, fight fire and go direct uh, to, to hopefully, uh, you know, save your house in the event of that fire occurring. And also it gives them a little bit of firefighter safety in a world that's inherently dangerous for firefighters, especially the wildland fire community. Uh, having defensible space not only improves the resiliency of your structure, uh, it gives those firefighters, even if it's a small minutia, a safer environment to be in, if you will. We've seen fires this year in Oregon. I mean, the Maui fires are, are really an extreme example, but even in Oregon, yeah. we've seen fires that have taken out houses uh, down have. in Klamath County. They've already suffered some big losses this fire season. We and we know that the, the state resources have been going out with structural task forces. And that's something that yes. when we think of a forest fire moving through an area, how can we stop them from getting to those homes? But what you're talking about is just giving firefighters just a little extra time. Yeah, absolutely. It gives your structure, again, the ability to reduce that intensity as it approaches the house, gives those firefighters the opportunity to uh, effectively fight fire if it's possible. This is not an end-all be-all. You know, we could conduct uh, defensible space and mother nature is ultimately uh, a huge factor in this, you know, with weather and wind conditions uh, being the variable that are, that are, quite frankly, are very difficult to combat when it comes to those things. But if there's an increase of resilience, an increase of wildfire preparedness in those arenas, defensible space is our first line of defense, both for that property owner, that renter, that business owner, uh, and also uh, firefighters, keeping them as safe as we can in an inherently dangerous environment. Boil it down to brass tacks for me. Is this something that sure. we need to be out every day monitoring every little piece of vegetation that pops up in our yard near our, you know, within the 100 feet of our house? 
I think it's the maintenance piece is once it's established, once you have that good, we, we educate to a hundred feet. That's what the science, that's what the data tells us. You know, there's all sort of sorts of other prescriptive uh, treatments that folks talk about. What if you're on uh, an incline, you know, where fire can burn uphill, obviously faster and things like that. And there are some more prescriptive measures you can take with some of those anomalies. But ultimately, when you get to that really good fire resistive landscape, you're maintaining you're making sure your lawn is mowed. You're not mowing in the middle of the day at three o'clock uh, in summertime and, you know, kicking up rocks and sparks, you know, and, and contributing to the problem. But, uh, you know, mowing your lawn, just maintaining your vegetation once it's established. And as we go into those min winter months, that's when we focus. That's when we do our good work, uh, more robust work, uh, theoretically, during all hours, removing that flammable vegetation or uh, that dead and dying material on the ground to the best of our abilities. Where can people go to find more information? I know the, the State Fire Marshal's Office has a new website. We're so excited about it. Uh, as we enter you know, a new stage of technology, uh, we've definitely established our, our website, which is OregonDefensibleSpace.org. And what that has done is coordinated resources from all over the state of Oregon. You know, one thing when you get into the wildfire arena, there's a lot of resources for different geographic areas and even nationwide applicability. Uh, and we were looking for a more focused approach, uh, Oregon fuels, Oregon specific, uh, I would say stakeholders that contributed to those resource lists. So what is a fire resistive fuel uh, native to Oregon? You can go on our website and Oregon State University maintains the fire resistive plant guide, for example, that's on there. So you can pull that as you build your fire resistive landscape. Uh, it gives you the portal for an assessment, which is a, a new and exciting thing from our office where uh, we've partnered with the fire service and, and obviously our office. And we have uh, deputy state fire marshals in the field and also fire service partners that are willing to come out and do one-on-one -on -one defensible space assessments with you as the property owner or business owners to give you just general guidelines and recommendations on, hey, this would be good if you limb this tree up here. Uh, this is where you could do some extra work over here. And it's looking at it from the top down because there's a lot of other things outside of defensible space that we haven't talked about, cleaning around propane tanks, you know, barbecues on decks and just all sorts of other, I would say, best practices and opportunities to, again, keep your home fire safe. We have an app and it gives you a PDF printout uh, at the end of it on uh, what those recommendations are so you have some documentation. Lots of great, uh, not only important information, but life-saving information, potentially. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Assistant Chief Deputy State Fire Marshal Chad Hawkins, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Heather. Appreciate it. You're listening to FM News 100.1 and 1110 KBND.